Support for Che Explained comes from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. If you like spy thrillers or indeed Elizabeth Moss, then you might want to check out FX's The Veil. It's an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. Oh, I'll go. One woman has a secret, same here, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. I was talking to a buddy in Canada about COVID recently, and he told me one thing that's pretty distinct north of the border. He said rapid COVID-19 tests are everywhere in Toronto. You know, the ones where you swab your own nostrils for like 30 seconds or so and then stick them in a solution and wait 15 minutes. It's kind of like a pregnancy test. He said in Toronto, people are taking these rapid tests before heading out to a restaurant, before going to a bar, before getting together at a friend's house for a dinner party. He said there's a guy on his block who just has dozens of them in case anyone needs them. He hands them out for free. No such guy exists on my block. In fact, all I ever hear about is how hard they are to find here in the United States. And of course, if you're lucky enough to find them at your local pharmacy, a pack of two costs something like 25 bucks, which isn't nearly as cheap as free. ProPublica's Lydia DePillis says it didn't have to be this way. She didn't point to Canada, though. She pointed to the UK. So the UK has probably the most sophisticated testing system in the Western world, at least. They had decided early on to go really big on testing, and they spent, I think they allocated 37 billion pounds over a two-year period to do testing and contact tracing. And so that was signing gigantic contracts with test manufacturers and distributing them for free at central communal access points and also even sending them to you at your house. Starting this Friday, everyone in England will be offered two free COVID tests a week, at home or at work, and in schools and colleges. There's variations of that across the rest of Europe, right? So um, in many other countries, they had a free testing program with both PCR and antigen tests. Even if it's not paid for by the government, there are enough tests on the market that you can pick one up at your grocery store or pharmacy, costs about as much as a cup of coffee, and it's just as ubiquitous as gum. And in the United States, we have a lot of gum, but we don't have a lot of testing. That's right. We got our priorities slightly mixed up. This is actually the question I really want to ask you, Lydia. Why is it so hard to find rapid tests in the United States right now? So a lot of reasons that sort of fall into two buckets. The first bucket is limited supply, and that's mostly the FDA's problem. And the other is limited demand or money for tests 
that is consistent. And that's mostly a higher level White House HHS Congress problem. Huh. Okay. well, let's talk about each of those, starting with the FDA. What is up with the FDA? Why are they so cautious around rapid testing? Right. So there's actually a pretty longstanding caution at the FDA about antigen tests in particular. And if you don't know, these are the tests that pick up the proteins on the virus, not the virus itself. I recently took one for the first time. Yeah. Fancy. Excellent. Well, so you should know that they are good at picking up really high viral loads. Like if you actually have enough of the virus in your nose to pass it along to people. They're not as good at picking it up just as you contract the virus. And also they don't pick it up, which is a good thing, after the virus is kind of dead and passed in your system, which a PCR test will pick up. So the FDA is really leery of false negatives and false positives. So they had a really high standard for these antigen tests and insisted that they be, you know, 80, 85% comparable to a PCR test. And that's the kind that is usually something you have to get done by a nurse and it detects the virus itself. So it's very, very sensitive. So for all of 2020, the FDA was approving PCR tests. They were also authorizing serology tests, the ones that detect antibodies, which will tell you if you already had COVID. But they hadn't authorized many antigen tests and certainly not those that could be used without a prescription or at home by the tested person. And they were really leery of letting anyone take a test by themselves because they don't think that we understand how, which I understand, like, we're dumb. It's kind of hard. There's a lot of risk that you could take the swab wrong, right? So they insisted on a lot of usability studies uh, to make sure that these are comparable to PCR tests, like almost comparable. I Actually, when I took mine recently, I found it really useful that, like, every step where you could make a really big mistake, there was, like, this big, bold, red note being like, now, do not take it out of your nose and stick it directly into the thing. Instead, you have to first, like, stick it under the thing. Like, they they know which mistakes you're going to make and tell you not to make them. Yeah, and there's a lot of research that goes into how to make these things legible to people who can't even read. So an at-home, no, no prescription-needed test that was simple and cheap, like, could be cheap, didn't have a sort of device that you had to use, wasn't authorized until late March of 2021. So there was there's no way you could buy these things unless you like bootleg them in from South Korea. So if you're a company that wants to get a rapid test on the market in the United States, what does that process look like? The FDA put out a series of templates saying this is all of the information we need. Your studies need to look like this. And um, here's how we need it to be collected. And you can't overtrain your users, right? Like they need to be just regular folks. And then you submit it and it's like a package. It's probably a you know a couple hundred pages long, which is way shorter than a normal FDA approval process. But it would take, the average was like more than three months in late 2020 uh, for something to get through the process and much longer for denials. It took them a long time to say, actually, we don't think this is going to work. And often what would happen was, is you'd get some questions back and say, we need a response within 48 hours. You couldn't make that happen. And so they w- would send you to the back of the line. It's called being deprioritized. This happened to companies big and small, and it caused a lot of frustration because they said, well, gosh, I might as well just go sell this thing in Mexico or in Europe because they'll accept it and I won't go through all this rigmarole. Hmm. That sounds like a disincentive to even try and break into this market. Have you talked to anyone at the FDA about this policy? 
Absolutely. So the FDA was really generous with their time in talking to us about this stuff um, because they stand by it. They really think that they were doing their job to make sure that all these tests were quality. They said that there was a lot of faked data, shoddy data, and it's, you know, guarding the health of the American public to make sure that those don't get out on the market. And the other thing is they were working 24 hours a day and they were tired. And, you know, they were also at the same time vetting vaccines and vetting therapeutics. And by spring of 2021, vaccines were coming online and there was a sort of thought from top to bottom, from White House to the like line reviewers at the FDA that great, you know, maybe the vaccines will usher out this virus and we won't have to do this for another whole year. So the other thing that the FDA told us, and I'm going to maybe get us to our second bucket this way, is that, look, it's not our fault because the important part about affordability and availability of tests isn't the number of tests on the market. It's actually federal government commitment to purchasing large volumes of tests. Hmm. That not only brings people to the market because companies are like, oh, wow, this country is spending gazillions of dollars to provide tests for free to its population. Seems like a good bet. And also, it's less subject to the ups and downs of the virus. We've now had four waves. Investors don't love when your quarter is a bust because this thing that you banked big on during a surge is no longer profitable. So some of the big test makers saw really way reduced revenues in the second quarter of 2021, and they were not about to go invest a lot of money in production of rapid tests when they didn't think that COVID was going to come back. And then, of course, it did. And they were caught flat-footed. Those at-home test kits have been a hot commodity, selling out online at many retailers. In one pharmacy we visited, the shelves were bare. This shortage is causing pharmacies to turn some people away or limit the amount of kits they can buy. We went to CVS and Walgreens locations, multiple of them. And I tell you what, they were sold out. As a matter of fact, at one CVS location, they told me they go through 100 of these boxes per day. There was not enough production to supply the demand. And that's why you saw almost none on the shelves, especially in late August, early September. We started with you telling us how easy it is to get tested in the UK, be it a PCR test or a rapid test. What's the approval process like in Europe? How does it differ from what we have with the FDA? Yeah, so um, it's complicated because there is a central vetting body at the European Union and you get something called a CE mark. And those are pretty quick processes. They're basically self-certification. And there are now a few dozen rapid antigen tests that are approved that way. And most countries in Europe accept it. Uh, Some of them have applied additional testing regimes, but how that usually works is like, for example, in the UK, they have a national laboratory called Porton Down, and they take your test and they run it through all the same studies that a company would do, except for the government is doing it. And that way they know everything is benchmarked the same way. You can actually apples to apples compare tests. They put a bunch of tests through that ringer, picked the best one, spent $4 billion buying those tests. So that was basically their process. And, you know, it had some shortcomings. It's not like it was perfect. But I think that people in the UK understand 
the use of a test that is not perfectly accurate. They know it's not a free pass to go breathe out a bunch of people if they have like credible exposure. But it's just the kind of thing that if you do it enough, it'll pick up the virus when it matters most. Why isn't the United States making the same investment in, in rapid testing as it has in, say, vaccines, where we clearly came out ahead? Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with a sort of cultural issue. Um, and we love silver bullets. We love a pill you can take that will solve it, a shot you can take to keep you from getting the, the vaccine. And, you know, obviously, during the Trump administration, they weren't fans of testing because that meant more COVID cases. It could be the testing's, frankly, uh, overrated. Maybe it is overrated. It was a debate within the administration. There were those who were pushing the FDA to approve more of these things quickly, but the FDA doesn't love pressure. They think that's political interference, and, like, they should. So that wasn't something that they were responsive to. Then the Biden administration comes in, and there is a lot of money for testing in some of the appropriations bills that passed, like the American Rescue Plan. But, um, you know, that's been rolled out pretty slowly because, again— it wasn't a necessity to reopen in the same way that it has been in Europe. We bet on vaccines. We didn't bet on tests. Where does that leave us now? We're heading into the holidays. It's a week from Thanksgiving. People are going to be seeing friends, family, traveling. How easy is it to get a rapid test now? So it's getting better. Companies have been ramping up supply. They've especially, though, been focused on fulfilling their orders from big companies who are testing their entire workforces. So they're getting onto pharmacy shelves pretty slowly. Often, Binax Now, the dominant test out there made by Abbott, is just out of stock. And that's a pretty unacceptable outcome nearly two years into this pandemic. Like, these things need to be as ubiquitous as toothbrushes or whatever, because they're not that much more sophisticated than a toothbrush. And meanwhile, in Europe, it's as easy as buying a pack of gum. Yep. Europe's got the tests, but they're also doing the worst on COVID-19 right now in the world. More on that in a minute on Today Explained. Support for Today Explained comes from Mint Mobile, the only cell phone that tastes good. When the deal is too good to be true, there's probably a catch, right? That incredibly cheap flight to Europe? You probably can't bring a bag or pick your seat or use the restroom. So when I tell you that Mint Mobile offers wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably wondering, what's the catch? Well, according to Mint Mobile, there is no catch. According to Mint Mobile, it's only 15 bucks a month and their plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, you can go to mintmobile.com slash explain. That is mintmobile.com slash explain. You can cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash explain. 
$45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Support for Today Explained comes from Indeed. Hiring can be difficult. You can hope and pray and ruminate on how to find the perfect candidate or you can turn to something more reliable, a smart piece of technology like Indeed's matching engine. According to Indeed, that matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences for job candidates, so it becomes more accurate over time. The more you use it, the better it gets. Indeed also lets you ditch some of the busy work, scheduling, screening, messaging. According to Indeed data, they have over 350 million global monthly visitors. They also did a survey that showed 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Listeners of Today Explained will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Today Explained. You can go to Indeed.com slash Today Explained. Let them know you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Today Explained. Terms and conditions do apply. Need to hire? Asks Indeed. You need Indeed. Hi, Today Explained. It's Julia Beluz. I'm a health reporter with Vox, and I'm currently based in Vienna, Austria. Going into the summer, it seemed like we were actually in a pretty good place to weather the next phases of the pandemic. The vaccines were rolling out. They made it a requirement in places like restaurants, cafes, theaters, opera houses, that you had to be either recently vaccinated, recovered from the virus, or tested. There's also been this massive testing effort called Alles Gurgled, which means everybody gurgles. It is as it sounds. So you pick up a box in this chain of health and beauty stores, bring it home and gurgle with the saline solution, and then you get your result within 24 to 48 hours over email. The government also made it a requirement on transit and in shops to wear only FFP2 masks. So high-quality masks. We've been pretty comfortable, even with our 20-month-old son, to live a, a relatively normal life. But one other thing that's happened is that the vaccine rate plateaued here. There's a third of the population that still isn't vaccinated. Then, of course, the virus started spreading again, and now we're in an exponential growth phase. Cases are absolutely exploding here. There are parts of the country where the ICUs are overwhelmed, where doctors are having to ration care. And so we're kind of back, even with all these incredible efforts on the part of the government, back to square one. So on Monday, the government introduced a lockdown for the unvaccinated. People who don't have COVID vaccines are not supposed to leave their house unless it's essential. Two of the hardest hit provinces, Salzburg and Upper Austria, are going to impose a full lockdown. So we're kind of just bracing ourselves to see what's next. The continent of Europe is the epicenter of the pandemic at the moment. John Henley, Europe correspondent, The Guardian. Europe is the only continent where both case numbers and deaths are kind of increasing. Nearly two million new cases were reported in Europe last week. That is the most in a single week in that region. 
since the pandemic started. Basically, countries that are lowly vaccinated or, or have poor levels of vaccination, typically in Central and Eastern Europe, countries like Romania, Bulgaria, the Czech Republic, Slovenia, they have sky-high incidence rates and sky-high death rates. The more rural it gets, the more people are reluctant to get the jab in Romania. We are in the town of Gaiesti. There are currently over 90 COVID patients in the local hospital and only four doctors. It's starting to pick up also in Germany, Austria, Switzerland, a bit less so in France and in Southern Europe, which are the countries where you have really high levels of vaccination. I mean, Portugal is the most vaccinated country in the EU at the moment. Nearly 90% of the whole population of Portugal is vaccinated. Portugal's state health care system has had a robust vaccination program since its battle against polio in the 1960s. There we're seeing very little increase, a little bit but really not very much. People are used to, to, get, uh, to get the vaccine, their children to get the vaccine, their grandchildren to get, to get the vaccine. So it's a normal health procedure. So is this just one of those pandemic of the unvaccinated stories or is there something else going on here? Well, I think it's, I mean, it's a combination of factors. Firstly, I mean, this pandemic clearly comes and goes in waves. Uh, we've been seeing that for the last sort of two years now. And Europe has entered its fourth or in some countries its fifth wave. There's also, a, a, you know, other factors that come into play. Uh, firstly, obviously, Europe was quite fast to roll out its vaccines. And we know that vaccines become marginally less effective after about six months or so. So, you know, much of Western Europe in particular, uh, you know, they, everybody started getting their or, or had their second dose of vaccine, uh, you know, pr pretty much by kind of May, June. So we're starting to get to the period where, and particularly the most vulnerable, older people were vaccinated even earlier. So, you know, the, the effectiveness of the vaccines is starting to wind down a little bit. And another factor that plays into it is that uh, in Europe, people uh, started to take these kind of distancing measures a little bit less seriously. So because not everybody is vaccinated, virus is circulating. It's a combination of all those factors that's kind of, you know, causing this spike. And that's even with much better testing, as we discussed in the first half of the show. Yeah. If I talk just about France, which is where I'm based, um, testing was completely free until about six weeks ago or so. Since then, it's remained free for people who are vaccinated. But for people who are not vaccinated, they now have to pay. Uh, I did several tests before, and it's the first time uh, I have to pay with my own money, uh, 25 euro. So I was asking the, <laughs> the guy, and uh, there is no choice. If I'm not vaccinated, I have to pay. And that's part of a effort by the French government and lots of other governments in Europe have done the same thing to kind of push people into getting vaccinated, to get push as many people into getting vaccinated as possible. Unfortunately, the decision to make people who were not vaccinated pay to get tested has kind of coincided with the arrival of this new wave, uh, which means actually that, you know, there may be many more cases uh, in, in, in Europe than we know about at the moment. Who are the unvaccinated Europeans? Are they are they sort of the anti-vax folks we think about in the United States who who don't trust the government or don't trust 
the science or is there something else going on? Yeah, I mean, there's a wide range of people who haven't been vaccinated yet. There's one category that I think is probably worth mentioning because it's particularly large in these kind of German-speaking countries, that Germany, Austria, Switzerland, which, as I said, were the least vaccinated countries in Europe. And those countries also happen to be the countries in Europe that are, I guess, are kind of like the, the most accepting of alternative medicine or, you know, alternative therapies, homeopathy, this kind of thing. So there's a quite a strong hold out there against vaccinations, people who kind of don't like big pharma, uh, who prefer kind of natural healing, that kind of thing. We heard from our colleague, Julia Blues, who lives in Austria, about how that country is handling a spike in cases. It's, it's locking down the unvaccinated and, and in some parts of the country, even the vaccinated. Is that happening outside of Austria? Romania and Bulgaria, the Czech Republic, Slovakia have been starting to kind of introduce uh, lockdowns or partial lockdowns. And with cases reaching peak pandemic levels in the Netherlands, officials launched a partial lockdown Saturday, sparking tense clashes among protesters and police. I imagine for some people in our listening audience, this is all sort of hard to believe going back into lockdowns, even in some cases, if you are vaccinated. How are these new waves of lockdowns being enforced in places like Austria? It is being checked up on by the police. Huh. And several other countries are likely to follow suit uh, down that road. It's very likely that Germany, where, which is also experiencing kind of record numbers of infections at the moment. So Germany and several of these German states, you know, Germany is made up of a number of semi-autonomous states. They're already introducing similar measures. And I think, you know, a, a focus on making life generally tougher for people who are not fully vaccinated is probably the route that most European governments will go down. Do you think the United States should be bracing for, for the kinds of surges you're seeing out there in Western Europe and Eastern Europe as well? I'm not an expert on, on the US and I'm not an epidemiologist, but I find it quite hard to believe that you're not heading into some kind of new wave. France is like 68% fully vaccinated. Germany, 68% fully vaccinated. If you look at the numbers in the US, you're around about 58% at the moment. So I find it hard to believe that this new wave isn't going to hit the United States. And it is, in fact, quite possible that it already is hitting the United States. You just don't know it because you're not testing as much as everybody else. Cool. John Henley, he writes about Europe for The Guardian. He's based in Paris. Our episode today was produced by Miles Bryan. He's based in Philadelphia. He had help from Will Reed. He's based in Brooklyn. Thanks to our colleague, Julia Belouz. She's based in Vienna. I'm Sean Ramosverum, along with ProPublica's Lydia DePillis, based here in the District of Columbia. It's Today Explained. <laughs> <laughs> 